So how'd you get your start? Okay, I went to film school in Poland at the Wuj Film School. That's big time, by the way. That's how I got my start. Is the, We were shooting on film in the first year. Um, the cinematographers have to do their own visual essays. Like, basically, the way... And then I ended up going to a AFI to get my master's later. But my BA is from the Polish National Film School of Wuj. Polska Wyższa Szkoła Filmowa, Telewizyjna i Teatralna w Łodzi. So that's, that's what What's it's called in Polish. <laughs> that's the official name of the school. Yeah, and that's where the, I think Dariusz Wolski went there. Kieślowski definitely went there. Dariusz Wolski, yeah. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, Polanski went there. Kaminski famously did not go to that film school. But yeah, he went to Columbia. the guy who shot, um, what's the amazing sci-fi movie that everybody knows and loves that shot on film with all the filters? Sławomir Suave, Ijak. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so Suave Ijak. But what's the name of that science fiction film that he did? Talking Solaris? No, no, no. It's, um, no, the... Well, Slavomir did uh, uh, Black Hawk Down. No, no, no. Slavomir did, yeah. Who's in it? Too obscure? Who directed it? American? No, no, no. I want to figure it out. No, don't do it. I won't tell you. I won't tell you. I'll just tell you who's in it. Okay, it starts with a G and it ends with an A. Okay, that's... Oh, that's a beautiful movie. Okay, so Slavomir Ijak got that film... Because the reason why he was able to shoot that film, that was his first film that he shot in the United States. And the reason why he was able to shoot that film is because he shot a very, very beautiful film called The Double Life of Veronique, which is one of my favorite films. It's Polish. It's directed by Krzysztof Kieślowski. Oh, yeah. Krzysztof, and shot yeah. by Sławomir Ijak. And Kieślowski and Ijak were really good friends in film school in the 70s. So we all we, we went to the same school, except that, that they graduated in the 70s. Okay. I did not. I graduated yeah, in 2007. Trilogy, yeah, yeah. Okay, so the blue, white, and red trilogy, which is, of course, definitely shot on film because yeah. they were shot in the early 2000s or late 90s, actually, I think, in that case. So then Ijak would come to school with a box of filters. So he was constantly yes, like bringing his own filters, which he was designing. He had like tobacco ones and green ones and yellow ones, right? And so if you look at this movie, The Double Life of Veronique, there's a lot of vignetting and colors like sh shaping the image, right? So, um, and he also shot one of the decalogues that Kishlovsky did. He shot a short film about killing, which is one of the decalogues that got turned into like an actual film and distributed, even though it's only an hour long. It's an absolutely incredible movie. I highly, highly recommend it. So Ejak's work was like iconic, to use a phrase that is, but he really is iconic. Like he's actually but, iconic. But uh, he got Gattaca based on the way the double life of Veronique looked. Like American producers saw that and they were like, we want this crazy filtered, beautiful look. So then he brought his filters to United States and shot fucking Gattaca. Um, and then, of course, became a huge, huge, huge Hollywood cinematographer. Um, Gattaca was directed by Andrew Nichol, who does, like, he takes a lot of risk. He did, did the, he did the Truman Ethan Hawke. Ethan Hawke. Based, based on the novel, Brave yeah. New World. Young Ethan Hawke. Oh, is that what it was based on? Yeah, yeah. died famously the same day as C.S. Lewis and John F. Kennedy on what date? November 22nd, 1962. Yes. Wow, good memory. Yeah, so that so, movie is from But let, let's talk about you, Arlene. Um, what made you want to get into cinema at all? Like, what's the gist of this? So I had a very, like, it, I had a, tr let's just, without going into too much detail, I had a troubled upbringing. And I was pretty much convinced when I was a teenager that I was going to, like, become a... 
teacher, maybe an English teacher, a biology teacher, I was never encouraged to seek out any kind of artistic pursuit and was always told that, like, you know, I would never make any money and I obviously had to make money because my family didn't have any money and so when I thought about doing something artistic like film, it was like so beyond the reaches of what I could grasp. And luckily I fell in with some people who like were my own age and kind of were convincing me that like I could maybe have a talent at photography, someone lent me a camera, we're like, start taking black and white pictures, you never know. So it's basically like, you know, someone like Tom, a kind of a person who would like, you know, was really interested in film. I had a couple friends like that and we're like, why don't you just, if you like it, just, you know, maybe give it a try. I started taking black and white pictures. I found out that I really liked it. I was good at it. Did you process your own? Yes, 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 absolutely. Yeah, I would go to the dark room and process and hand process. And it was like, that was my first experience um, with film, with photography, like so many of us. Um, And then falling in love with just seeing the image, like, you know, develop on the paper and realizing how uh, organic and tactile that whole process is. And then wanting, you know, then obviously at the same time I was watching the masters like of cinema like I was watching I was an arty kid so I was watching like Tarkovsky and David Lynch and Kishlevsky and um, Wong Kar Wai and obviously all of their movies are shot on film this would have been in like the early 2000s um, and I finally figured out that I could apply to Polish film school and get a heavily heavily discounted um, tuition because of the fact that I speak some Polish and um, yeah my on my yes on my mother's side they're from Białystok, um, which is in eastern Poland. So I heard in some podcast, uh, it might have been on Deacon's podcast, um, that they were, when you and I were talking about this, like Polish film school is different because they're very scientific. They force you into this really group, like incredible, like hard science world of cinematography, yeah? Yeah, we did have one class, which was incredible, um, the school is four years so we also took you know art history and we took cinema history and we took philosophy we took gym like it was it's actually like a almost like not exactly going to a liberal arts school because you're you're focused on film but like it does try to be like a BA you know um just with a very very heavy emphasis on film um and so yeah we did learn um processing we learned all the layers of the film we had an incredible teacher who unfortunately has passed on i was very lucky to be in the last wave of students who got like the really old teachers who um were like grandpas to us but they their knowledge of like film chemistry was just insane and we even had a teacher who would just constantly repeat that um matter is frozen energy and so when we're or I'm sorry yes matter is frozen energy so that we are basically made up of light you know and like this they were so mystical about like they were both scientific and mystical at the same time and I think it comes from just this like deep deep love of cinema and having because in Poland it's like they got their film cameras after the war I mean the Germans basically left Airy 2Cs in Poland like Lenny Reifenstahl's film team or whatever you want to call it deep religiosity as well Yes, and they're also a very religious country. So all of that combined produces this kind of almost like mystical, elevated approach to filmmaking, which really um, values a t- uh, like a technical knowledge of celluloid. And so we had, you know, a lot of testing and classes and 
constantly shooting on film. Really and so, intense, yeah. yeah, and in a way, like, because we, the school gave us so much film to shoot, and we were shooting on 35 with, with RE2C film cameras in our first year, like, everybody's level, like, jumped up really, really quickly. So even people who weren't making, like, the best films in the world on their first, like, exercise, by the time it came around to their, let's say, second year first exercise, because we would shoot two per year, um, they were already, you know, like eons beyond. And AFI is a similar thing. It's kind of like a boot camp philosophy. But what AFI teaches you that Polish film school doesn't is like how to survive in the American film industry, which Polish film school did not teach me at all. I mean, Polish film school imbued me with such a love for cinema and ability to basically shoot film intuitively and know that like my images are going to be good. But what I learned in AFI is you know, how to be a diplomat, how to deal with money, how to deal with producers, how to deal with directors. Like, <laughs> you could come out of Polish film school like basically um, autistic in terms of like, you know, the because the DP is valued so highly yeah, yeah. as like the collaborator and friend of the director yeah, exactly. that like you don't need to have any social skills yeah. in their opinion. But like <laughs> AFI is the Which, opposite of that. They teach you everything that that, that Polish film school doesn't. So for me, it was like a really good combination. Like um, dealing with relationships with directors and, 100 yeah. dealing with everything like yeah. relationships with ev everyone I didn't realize that that was such a big deal and like I came out of Polish yeah. film school a little bit of a diva and then I land in LA at a time when indie film is shooting on 5Ds nobody wanted to shoot film right, right. so I was stuck because it's a very very young you know like cinematographer yeah. who just came from this world of like well we only shoot film yeah. and I couldn't afford to stay in Poland any longer like I had to come back to the United States and start working so I started working as a camera assistant okay. and I worked as a second AC I got into the union and so then in, I went to AFI in the business you started out in, in the digital world assistant. yeah exactly okay. yeah and then went to AFI went, went to AFI and then in AFI we shot a little more on film and then you know I went through a period of three or three or four years after AFI where I was just starting to climb the ladder as a DP and so mostly everything I shot was on video but then I finally started finding my way back to film I started buying some film cameras I started investing heavily in film gear and shooting my you know self-paid music videos if I had to whatever I could shoot on film I would start shooting on film and it's been mostly 16 at this point um, with one short on 35 but I'm hoping to kind of get to a point where I can shoot a feature on 16 or even better a feature on 35. Do you remember your first uh, experience shooting on film, motion picture? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, my first experience shooting was in the Polish film school and we shot our black and white, you know, two minute project. They gave us, I think, like one can of, you know, one or two cans of film and you were supposed to make a little visual essay from that, like a little story. And what was yours about? So yeah, mine, was was called, <laughs> mine was called Are You Sleeping? And it was about, I got these two beautiful young actors from the school to basically like be in a bedroom together. And the idea was that the 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 guy is asleep they've just like made love and the guy is asleep and the girl can't sleep and she goes to the window and looks out at the moon and then she looks back at her boyfriend who's in bed fast asleep and she has this moment where she realizes that like there's something bigger out there right and so that was the concept cool. for like that That's was the concept really cool. for, like the little it was just a little little we were supposed to make these little poems you know it was like oh, a little yeah. poem and i shot it so dark it was the darkest film it was literally like inky blackness and then this beautiful girl's face just like illuminated and we used like a moving light oh like we, we to to pretend that it was like moonlight moving across her face we just had you know one of That's my friends crazy. like rig a light that sort of like that really and it was cool. so ingenious and we just pushed a light like across her face on a well, on a little you, like rig do you remember if it was i still have it do you I, i'd love to see it 100 do you remember if it was reversal? Is it was it reversal no, or double X? Two, two, two. 
Oh, double X. Yeah, 100%. So, okay, so you had to get, did you get a print of it? 35 millimeter. Oh, 35? The school That's has right, a print of that film, which keeps the prints of all of the dates insane. They have this like warehouse where so they, they have a 35 print of that film. They might have, they might have kept the cut negative. They might not have the print by now. I mean, that was a long time ago. Like it was right. 10 years, or more than 10 years ago. So. Wow. Okay. So there's a, so, but you have a copy of it. I don't. The school does. Because I mean, a copy in terms of a digital copy. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, that's enough. I mean, and that was on a two C. And the school even has like the original film essays from like Swavomir Ejak, so you can watch. How was his? I, I mean, I would, I would have to call the school and ask. I'd love to see it. I know. I probably saw it at some point. Filtered. Everything's filtered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Did Um, you like it? I loved it so much, and the minute I shot my first like cinematography essay I was like great good okay I found what I want to do I don't know how good I'm and this was on a 2C sorry yeah it was on a 2C okay go ahead and actually one of our friends in class had a 2C with a PL mount um, ra- so rather than use the school's 2C it was a, an Austrian guy who had brought like had bought his own with camera the airy, airy yeah 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 so he had a PL mount and he, and he had a set of um, uh, of K35s what yeah so we were shooting on K35s now Tell him, tell him. He probably bought them for like 2,000 euros. Yeah. And then I think at one point he sold them for like 10,000 euro and now they're worth 200,000. For a set, set, two G's, and now it's free. 135. Wow. For a set. But that was 15 years ago. That's still an insane. They shot shot aliens on K35s. They're incredible. I mean, I use them all the time now because people love them on full frame. Um, because they're so like oh, we don't talk about that we don't I talk know, about I know, that I know I know we're not allowed to talk about digital but they are beautiful lenses for film as well but um so then okay so then you you have that you made that film was that part of your uh, packet that you had to send to uh, AFI to get in yeah so I, sh- I feel like I showed AFI some of my stuff from Polish film school but mostly what I showed AFI was stuff that I'd shot narrative and the narrative that I'd shot once I got to the United States was all digital um, and AFI's primary focus was also shooting digital. So I do have to say that although, like, that's the good thing about AFI is that it got me into the film business, okay. right? And it enabled me to be a DP full-time, right? But now I have to find my way back to film, right? Because I think there's some AFI DPs that take the 35 millimeter exercise, like, and, you know, they'll turn it into their, it'll win what's, an award what's their, or something like What's that. their exercise? What, what so is that? So basically, their, the AFI has a 35 millimeter visual essay that you do in your second year, which is, which combined with the thesis, you know, can, and, and in AFI, you can also shoot your thesis on film. Like, there's no, there's nobody telling you that you have to shoot digital, but I ended up shooting my thesis on digital. Um, but, like... I, th- I kind of wish at AFI that I had been less focused on just like, you know, on digital and worked more on film. Because I do see that there were some people who like shot on film and then... So it was available to you? It was definitely available. I think I was, I think at that time I was still a little like nervous about, well, you know, can I, if people want me to shoot digital or if people want me to shoot film, like I kind of felt like in the interim period of leaving film school in Poland, like... I didn't have enough experience shooting film because in, everything was digital. Everything that I'd worked on coming from Poland. So it's really like this is a story of me finding my way back to film, like training on film and then coming to United States and feeling like there was nobody who wanted to shoot on film and then feeling like my knowledge like fell off, you know, and then finding my way back to it after AFI and being like, no, this is something that I love. This was my initial love of cinema. Like I want to, I, I want this for myself. Like I want... You, okay, so what was the first thing? What was the first film thing that you did for in America? 
the first film thing that I did in the United America. States? Yeah. Huh. Probably like a 16 millimeter music video. Because once I had my my 16 millimeter camera, like I bought an Aton mm-hmm. um, XTR Prod, and so yeah that's like this is maybe like this journey started like maybe three years ago and i've been out of school afi for six years so i spent three years like being a digital dp pretty much exclusively and then um now in the past three years i've been shooting more and more projects on film and you just scanned one for us like that 16 millimeter short that we did with google and women on film so do you remember like do you can you tell us the story about how you got all your cameras now <laughs> that's probably <laughs> please tell me this to her podcast because I'm curious, I still didn't get the full story. I got a rough story about somebody in Brazil. <laughs> yeah, basically a friend of a friend like recommended a camera house in Brazil where they unfortunately were like Kodak um, left Brazil. And so it was really difficult to have film process there. So there was a rental house that was selling a bunch of um, 16 millimeter film gear. And so how did, how, how did this, um, domi- how did this domino... Because they said, I can understand one camera, but you got three. I got yeah, no, I got a bunch. I got, I, basically, I, I bought a Sony Venice <laughs> used here, and they really wanted a Venice, um, so we did a barter. Okay. They wanted a Venice because they were starting a TV show, and it was the pandemic. It was like 2020, but they were still starting this TV show. Yeah, for Netflix. I think it was for Netflix Brazil, and they didn't, they needed two Venices. They only had one. And so they were pretty desperate to get another one on time for the show to start. Um, and I brought them one, and then they just, like, unloaded their 16-millimeter gear on me. And then I packed it all up and took it back to the United States, like, with just, like, Incredible. freaking out, you know, that they were going to stop me at customs or whatever. I had yeah. three gigantic Pelican cases, like the Storm cases, which were, like... Tell us all the gear, by the way. The Storm Pelicans are, like, as big as a coffee t- table. And I had so much film gear packed into them. And they did stop me at customs in Texas. There was a very large, beefy... A Texan man who stopped me and was like, "Well, we gotta go through all of these." Oh my god! And I was saved by this woman who came and was like, "She didn't know. She didn't know. You know, because basically you have to declare all your gear in the United States, and you have to bring them a paper that says this gear belongs to me. I didn't buy it in another country." And they were about to take my all of my film cameras and put them in a warehouse and then charge me fines and then they hold it indefinitely and there's a whole process you have to go through. And this wasn't even in California; it was in Texas because my return flight was through Texas I had to fly through Houston it was just a nightmare I was sweating bullets like at the airport I had all these pelican cases oh full God. of all of this incredible gear that obviously needed to be cleaned and refurbished and, and now it is but like at the time I was just sweating my non-existent balls off you know I was just like can I you, can't can you tell us what gear that was which which cameras did you get from them Two, two Aton Penelope's. Oh my god. Um, an XTR Prod. Yeah, well, one of them is not working. So I'm going to take both of the Aton Penelope's to Amsterdam because that's the only place you can like legitimately repair an Aton right now. Like they can take it apart and put it back together and have it in, you know, good, new working yeah. condition. Um, and then I got three SR3s that I sold two of them and I kept one. So it's basically five, well, you, you five sell, cameras. You did sell an SR3. Yeah, and I got three sets of um, Zeiss Super Speed lenses, and I sold one set. I'm selling another set right now. I'm looking for buyers if anybody wants a set of beautiful Zeiss Super Speeds in great condition, and then I'm oh going to keep a set of Zeiss Super Speeds. So ideally, it was a very good deal because I've already sold enough gear from this transaction <laughs> to, to pay, pay off. off the Venice that I bought, and now hopefully I'll be able to make a small profit by selling, like, 
these lenses. So, what what is what is interested by? We we um, often ask like, what does is shooting on film easier for you now? Like, yes. It just. It's so much easier, and I'm so glad. I'm so glad that like I bought a camera, and like you know, in our group, like our cigar group, like Natasha bought a camera. Like people are buying cameras wherever yeah. they can, and like yeah. that's the way to do it. You just buy a camera, know how to use it, get it running, and then literally everybody who comes to you and is like, "Hey, I have a short," you just say to them like, "Why don't we shoot it on film?" Yeah. It's not going to cost more. I promise. Or I'll put in. I'll throw in. Da da da. And, like, that's what I've been doing. I've just been, like, literally either telling people, like, I'll throw in, you know, or, like, let's do this. It's, you know, trying my hardest to convince them yeah. to do it. And, like, that's the best way, right? Like, you want to you wanna just push for what you believe is, is good, right? And, obviously, like, not every project is going to want that or feel like they need that. But for the ones that do, it's, like, such a godsend. Like, you suddenly feel like... You know, for me, it's like heaven when somebody actually agrees. I'm like, yes, and I do a little well, dance. Yeah. Well, it's weird because um, I, I feel like, and I've said this uh, to other shooters who convince other people to shoot on film. Do you ever get the tr- uh, like an uneasy feeling that now the pressure's on you because if they don't, they get, you don't want them to, because it would, a lot of places now aren't. The infrastructure is a little bit weaker, I, I would say. People sort of do fly-by-night uh, jobs. I wonder, like, the pressure of, like, saying, like, the quality is where they're not so disappointed in what they get, you know? Like, you spend so much time convincing them. Now when they see it, you feel like you have to, it has to be more than what they wanted, Right. So the, the, I, I will answer to that, that every project that I've asked people to shoot on film, if they weren't convinced in the beginning that they should, when they see the actual results, they freak out. Yes. They freak out. They're That's like, awesome. oh my God, it looks so good. <laughs> and it's not so much because I'm like such a great DP or anything, but it, I do know how yes, to expose. Yeah, I do know how to expose properly. Yeah. And so like, once I, I've seen your exposure. I'm like, and I told you that, by the way. Once you expose properly or you know like how to expose, shooting on film that you then you have to know some lighting skills which thankfully I was able to learn at AFI you know and if you get a good gaffer which I've been lucky enough to have some amazing gaffers on my side and you get a good first AC which I've been lucky enough to get a good for it's all about the team right like you have to get good camera assistant you have to get a good gaffer you have to get a good key grip if you can get that like and you basically know how to light like film will reward you it will give you more than you thought and it will and that's why the directors when they see the result they're like oh my god you know you get these reactions that are that. like I love that reaction. every I love it. every time someone says that and they, they like they literally you can feel the joy in their voice at seeing this version of themselves because a lot of times you know it'll be people doing a personal project or whatever it'll be a, a musician an artist who's decided to shoot on film because they love film when they see how they look it's like you know, there is something, like, just elevated about it. And yeah. it's, like, you can't deny. Whatever it is, yeah. you can't deny it. It's like, a, it's, it's unmistakable. Star, I, I think it's a movie star quality, honestly. Like, it feels like a... You're, it's a precious, precious image that is, like, something... They just like it. Like, as soon as they see it... Like, you know, most people hate seeing themselves on... You know, on screen. When they see themselves on film, there's, there is that quality to it. What would you, okay, so going back to, let's say they don't have a gaffer or a grip or don't have access to that. What's your best advice for somebody that's just starting out? 
Oh, that's a really good question. Well, like, I would honestly say to just pay attention to composition, man. Like, if you can't find, you know, if you don't have people who are helping you, like, just find, study photography, right? You know, read books, like, study the zone system, like, watch YouTube videos. Just get as much knowledge as you can about correctly exposing an image. And, you know, if you, if you can do that, like, and let's say you have to shoot your whole film outdoors or whatever, like, you can still get amazing images, like, and don't be afraid to, like, fuck up, you know, point the camera at the sun because it'll give you flares that are, you've never seen on digital, like, you know, like, the film camera will do things that are unexpected and, like, you just have to be, um, once you start, like, learning how to expose correctly, then you can start making the quote-unquote mistakes that start to feel like something really cool is happening. Like when, you know, Alan Davio in E.T. has the flashlight shining into the lens and you get these incredible anamorphic flares because they specifically rigged flashlights with stronger lights for E.T., you know, so that they would flare the camera in this certain way. Like, and that's because, you know, and that's because Davio is like an incredible film shooter and he just knew that if they up the intensity, you know, then the, the, it would flare the lens in this beautiful, beautiful way. Um, I mean, I would just say anybody, like, watch E.T., watch Kishlovsky movies, like, you know, look at the way those films are shot. You can watch anything probably pre-2007, you know, watch your favorite movies from, watch Wong Kar Wai, watch Kishlovsky, watch Tarkovsky, watch Bergman, and just take keep that in mind and use references. Like, one thing AFI taught us that I really, really love is to create reference uh, file, folder, before you shoot a film, right? So you find films that kind of feel like the film you want to shoot, right? And then you are imitating that. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like, art is a history of homage and stealing. Like, we just <laughs> recreate things from other things. Yeah. Like, that is how we... How, that's how you build... That's how you make a cake, right? Like, you know, you have to take ingredients and mix it all together. And so you're taking all this other stuff from other films and mixing it together and then making your own film, right? Like, so I feel like AFI, if AFI, if, it, if there's, the best thing that I got from AFI is like, you know, building a kind of a storehouse or, or, or like a warehouse of images in your head before you go to shoot a film. That's one of the most valuable lessons I learned from that school. It, it, it's incredible. And only from films? Or do you go to... No, of course it can be painting, it can be David Hockney, it can be, you know, whatever you like, right? But I think most importantly from films. Do you? Yeah, because motion pictures is a language in itself. Yeah. Exactly. And it's the language that we're talking about. Yeah. Do you... Um, I just lost my train of thought there. But 30 do you, minutes is enough for people to listen to me blab. Like, thank you. You're a teacher. You're a teacher. I love being a teacher and I hope that I will get to teach cinematography at some point. So, like, with in terms of, like, film, teaching film itself, like, you'll bring on anyone that wants to, like, you will bring on an apprentice that wants to learn on film, yeah? Oh, 100%. I mean, I have been really lucky to be meeting, like, super motivated people, and, you know, of course, anyone who wants to learn, call me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're going to be getting a lot of calls. Um, I think it's, like, inspiring to watch other people take this adventure to like this journey of learning the film i've seen many people take that that upwards and then downwards and then curious about things and then it's really incredible and i love talking to people about film which is what this podcast is all about it's not about honestly it's it is about you as a artist and a, a cinematographer uh what do you think the biggest mistakes people make today when in terms of shooting on film I mean, I don't really 
actually think people make that many mistakes. I would say that like trying to compose in a way that, you know, you have all the action maybe happening in one frame, for example, that's that's maybe a mistake that I've seen, you know, young first time filmmakers do where they set up they, they have a scene, right, and they, they just concentrate on the master. Like it's always good to get a master, but then it's really good to um, figure out like what other shots other than the master are important for telling the story. And then I think once you get past like learning about quote unquote coverage or, or the way to like cover a scene, you can start to find ways to tell the story that are a little more interesting. So I definitely feel like looking at like, for example, Yorgos Lanthimos's films is really good for young filmmakers. Like once you've studied the great and you just have to keep studying the greats like you just have to study the ancient <laughs> ancient greats you have to study like you know the older greats and then you have to study the young greats yeah I'm like the ancients the ancients like Bergman is not that ancient 1965 watch you know Jean-Luc Godard like obviously you know watch um, Peter Weir watch um, Picnic at Hanging Rock I don't know watch watch these on like amazing yeah yeah yeah, yeah. underrated who's your uh, favorite DP now Oh, such a tough question. Oh, is it Roger Deakins? No, no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I mean, Roger Deakins is an incredible cinematographer. I love, like, his work on Coen Brothers movies, of he course. He liked his soul back in 94. Um, no, I'm kidding, I'm, t- he, I'm kidding. You're upset because he he extols he the virtues of, of the digital sensor. Um, I, you know, I think cinematographers have to walk a very difficult line right now because you could, like, I was talking to you before you started this recording, like, you could be offered a film that has a really wonderful script and a lot of money, and because of whatever constraints the production is dealing with or whatever, you know, they might have already planned to shoot digital, and then you have to, like, figure out in your mind, like, well, you know, I love film, but this is a really big career opportunity for me, so... Like, I, I I, really love Bradford Young as far as the American DPs go. I think he would be my top, top pick. Um, and, um, uh, you know, obviously Rachel Morrison's work and Q and Tren and all of the incredible women that are, like, paving the way right now. Um, um, uh, Ellen, Ellen, you know, Ellen Kuras. Like, yeah, I mean, just amazing people who inspired me, like, you know, to get into to get into film and realize that as a woman I could like take that path um, yeah who was your uh, uh, cinematography uh, inspiration for as far as like well, who stands out to you immediately well I think the Polish the Polish cinematographers you know definitely like the, because I started in Poland so the Polish DPs were my original I think inspiration um, and um but you know, once I once I started thinking about really actually being a DP myself, like I think, yeah, like the women, you know, starting to think about being a woman and what that means for me, um, and so then looking at women DPs and seeing like, well, okay, I, I could do that. Like I, I I'm Ellen Kuras is probably my my biggest inspiration. Did you did you start off immediately wanting to be DP? Yeah, because I figured that that was a way to, at least not not DP, but like camera department. So like being in camera department, I thought would be a way to like make a living. Okay. Like learn a skill. It wasn't like uh, writing or directing. Right, because I wanted to get into film and I didn't think that writing or directing would be able to make me any money. And especially it didn't feel like a skill that I innately could have versus photography felt like something that I knew how to do and that I just needed to develop further. So for me, money was like a really big concern starting out and like, can I make money doing this? And can I support myself? Can I survive? 
Yeah, and I think for people who are thinking that like it's a really good idea to get into the camera department at a lower position so that you can start learning and climbing up the ladder that way and then you can start like shooting stuff on the side, building your reel and doing all of that. So I think like camera assisting or utility or whatever you know way you want to get in, DITing, just getting on set in that way because at some point a DP will notice you and be like, hey, you know, do you want to come shoot this like weird little project with me on the desert? They always say stuff like that. And then and then suddenly, you know, you end up going on like a road trip with this DP and then you become friends and then they know that you're shooting small shit and then they recommend you to shoot something that they can't do. They'll they'll pass a job onto you or something like that. And that's literally how you become a DP. I mean, if, without going to school. But I think going to school is also a really good idea. So you recommend film school? I do. Yeah, I recommend film school. I recommend AFI or Polish film school. I don't know. I don't, I'm probably Mexican if you're in Mexico. Like, the Mexico... Uh, the film school in Mexico City is, like, incredible. And the one in London is really good. There's an Indian one that's really good. And, um, I mean, apart from that... Oh, oh, the German film school. Ludwigsburg film school is, like, incredible. I mean, Europe is probably a really good place to go to film school if you can. <laughs> and NYU and Columbia. Those are, those are, I think those are the top. I don't know how much I recommend USC, but obviously if you have the money to go there, you know, like it's not well, a bad they, school. They kind of train people to become more commercial uh, uh, Yeah, and AFI trains you to become commercial too. I mean, AFI, there's a lot of people who go to AFI who end up in the television industry, especially directors and producers and the stuff like that. The networking is the best. It's really good. There. Yeah, I mean, Do you feel like you got networking at, at AFI? Yeah, I feel like AFI at least taught me how to network. Okay. I mean, I just, I feel like I was like, you know, Asperger's before I went to AFI as far as like being a DP. Like I didn't know how to talk to people and being at AFI and being around people who I have like to, to speak straight about it. Like I don't come from a, a wealthy background at all. And I, I come from, and I was surrounded by a lot of people who were very young and knew how to talk the talk very, very well. And I was like very intimidated and impressed by these people who were like in their early twenties and were just like making moves, you know? Um, and I really learned a lot from being around that environment. I feel like, um, how can I say this? Like be, (laughs) Being around rich people isn't always a bad thing, like, if you come from, like, a poor background, because um, sometimes, like, if you're just chill and, like, you know, you kind of have to, like, work it a little bit, you know? And so my recommendation to people who are coming from working-class backgrounds, like me and trying to get into film, you know, you just have to kind of, like, slide in the... (laughs) You're not the first person who said that on a podcast. My friend Sam said the same thing. Sam was like, uh, be friends with trust fund kids. There are definitely trust fund kids at AFI. <laughs> so, um, okay, so when I when I started out, I struggled a lot, like a lot. How do people get past that struggle? I mean, you struggled as well. Like, what is it that keeps your faith and hope and everything else that's going on? What makes you move forward, get up in in the in the morning and and just do it? What what's going to drive somebody to do that? Well, somebody who's starting out. That's interesting, right? Because that's more like a psychological question, I think, than 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 like a you know a question about film or working. But ultimately, I think a lot of us, even if you come from like a difficult background, like I do, you have a survival instinct, and that probably is what gets people forward, right? It's like at somewhere at some point, your survival instinct kicks in and gets you to get up the next day and finally you know like I mean I've I've struggled with plenty of issues and depression and worry and anxiety and low self-esteem all through my career and like once you finally like start tasting like a little bit of success you know that is like an amazing thing where it inspires you 
like you're like, okay, you know, I just climbed a little bit up. I just climbed a little bit up. Fuck it. Yeah, fuck. I'm going to push myself a little harder, a little harder, a little harder. And then you finally do it. So to anyone who's like, you know, struggling with maybe like they're feeling like, oh, like, I don't know if I can do this or whatever. Like, obviously you can. Like, because it really, I hate to say this, but it's just, it's not about innate talent. Like, you know, I don't come from a background where I was like encouraged to be an artist or anything like that. Like, I just... I don't think I have some kind of innate talent for photography. And I really actually don't like people who think that they do. <laughs> Although, I'm, you know, some people do. And that's fine. Whatever. But, like, to me, it's like anyone can, anyone can succeed if you push yourself. And the 10,000 hours thing totally applies. I really believe in that. If you just keep doing it and you keep pushing yourself to do it and you really do genuinely like it, like, then keep doing it. And you will find success. Like, I... I I firmly believe that. Like, I think that you just have to keep trying and trying and trying and trying and trying and trying and making mistakes and the mistakes are part of it. So please, please, please make mistakes and fuck up and be sad and learn from it. Pick yourself up and keep going. So you're saying don't let that failure derail your path to what you want to do. I don't think failure derails anything. Like, I think we're taught in this... I think, unfortunately, this country is very, like... It's very opposite ends of the spectrum based thinking you know there's like good and bad and marvel and fucking marvel always teaches you that like there's good and bad or right yeah. or wrong and blah 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 there is no right or wrong i'm a moral relativist like i think that you know really the, you there's no mistakes like mistake mistakes don't exist like everything is a, a process and a path and you know that's the best way to think about life because if you start thinking about it as like mistakes and i regret this and then you start regretting things and that's not good so you just really have to chill yeah. <laughs> and just keep trying. Least, like, just keep trying. I mean, this is very much like, oh, no, you know, work. this is on a, yeah. like a little bit more of a, like, yeah, like maybe philosophical no, level. Good. But. Like, this is the conversation we're having in terms of like how it applies to the film industry. And it's so hard. Like, it can be very, very hard and be very yeah, difficult for absolutely. someone like me, especially there, there to like days when I succeed. There have been days when I didn't wake up and there are days when I drank a lot just to keep this failure at bay you know this feeling of failure at bay this is what causes a lot of people to go into substance abuse yeah yeah so how did you realize like when you got out of it like how did it feel oh it was it was liberating I mean it was like you know uh, no one's gonna do it for me I have to do it myself and uh yeah it kind of (laughs) sucked it's really sucked being on set for 16 to 18 hour days and I'm being lucky when I say 16 18 hour days you guys are on for like 36 hours sometimes right lack of sleep like a good diet, stay healthy. I guess a lot of DPs in my day were saying like, get comfortable shoes, like the ones I have now, and then also take care of yourself. One really good thing I think about the culture now is that now that we've been through a little bit more of some, like we've been through the Me Too movement, we've been through some safety, you know, some major, major safety, um, like tragedies that have happened in the industry. And so people are in general, a tiny bit more woke these days and so I do feel I do feel like um, I do feel hope for like sets at least in the bubble that we live in which is Los Angeles and and maybe New York that you know things are improving Um, and hopefully one day I'll get to make a movie in Europe and I'll be able to report to you about how things are there because I've heard that you work a lot less (laughs) per day and you shoot longer so like um, oh, like 90 days, like that used to be? There's this incredible woman uh, director who's about to shoot a movie in Georgia, the country, not the state. Um, and uh, they're going to have, I think they're going to have like a, f- one of my friends is interviewing for the first AC position on that. And um, the script is like 60 pages long and they're going to have like 40 days of shooting. So that's a two month shoot, right? 
Um, and the days are probably going to be like 10 hour days or, well, I don't know, honestly, but like, I just feel like it's a healthier, it's healthier to have like more shoot days and less hours versus here. We're always trying to cram everything into like, you know, you have a 18 day shoot and you're doing six day weeks and everybody's demoralized and exhausted and like fucked up. (laughs) I woke up one day and 30 became the norm. I was like, what, how? Like, it's insane. Like, I know, I understand in terms of, like... Well, in China, they shoot... Yeah, they'll shoot, like, 40, 48 hours without stopping. Yeah. So, <laughs> that sucks. I don't work in China, but yeah. I, I have a DP friend from my class who does, and he was like, I'll never work in China again. Like, <laughs> But I hope to work in China one day. I don't know. I just want to work anywhere but the United States because I hope to shoot a film in Mexico. I hope to shoot, you know, something in... I mean, I obviously want to work in the United States too, but, like, I, I love, like, Latin American and European and Asian art house films. That's really where I want to go. Okay. You know, um, so... It's funny because most people want to aspire to a bigger in picture. Hollywood, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm with you. I, I kind of, obviously, I didn't bode well with the studio. Well, you know, I feel like you have, like, you have a cross between, like, you love old, Holly, you know, you love, love 80s Hollywood, you love the Goonies, and you love Spielberg, and, you know, but it's also because those movies are very rich in, in well, obviously, they were shot on film, and they're, they're nostalgic for you, I think, but also, like, they were shot by some of the most amazing DPs out there. Yeah. Like, you know, so I used like, to, I, I was telling, I was telling somebody, I used to remember the entire roster of the ASC. Now I can't, I can't, I, I don't know anyone. I used to remember the entire roster. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. That is crazy. <laughs> well, hopefully there's like a lot of fresh new people, you know, and that's maybe the reason, but... Um... So not to backtrack on this, but um, I get this a lot, and this is why we acquire so much shit. Um, are you going to sell any more of your cameras? Are you going to edit this podcast, or how is this going to be? So it just goes like this. It's just it's just us free, free wheeling, just talking. Yeah. Um... No, all the cameras that I had for sale are sold. I'm just selling a lens set right now, so... Okay, this is what happens. Like, you get emotionally attached to your cameras. I'm never selling them. Why? I have four cameras now, four film cameras. And I'm probably only on the road to buying more at yeah. this point. Uh-huh. So now I'm Sound looking out. for a four-perf four 35-millimeter camera. Oh, really? Yeah. I'm not selling mine. <laughs> I mean, I'm just hoping I'll at least be able to borrow yours if somebody asks Absolutely. me to shoot on 35. Absolutely. Anytime. Anytime. Hey, what about this uh, one you were telling me about? Uh, oh, the 35.3. Yeah, but that's an MOS camera. You want a sync sound camera. I sync sound camera. I want to shoot a movie with Eric McFarland. Eric, if you're looking, listening to this. <laughs> hey, Eric. Listen up. His short was so good. I really loved it. I hit him up. Move. I was like, "Oh, you did?" I, yeah, I was like, "Please let me shoot something with you." All so, right. Yeah. You're, yeah, you heard it here first, people. Or so anyway, who wants to shoot four perf? <laughs> why? Why four perf? Well, okay. So I really haven't seen like a short on four perf in a really long time, and then I saw this one that was projected at the recent screening, the ACSF screening. And um, I just fell in love. I was just like, "This is incredible!" Like everybody should be allowed to shoot four perf. Like. <laughs> It's just so rich. What's, what's the perfect aspect ratio? It's gorgeous. What's like, the what's the perfect aspect ratio? For me? Oh, I don't have a perfect aspect ratio. That's the wrong answer. It's 185. <laughs> I'm a chameleon. I just learned that, by the way. Because <laughs> I, I just put a ground glass in uh, the movie cam. I was like, 
oh my god, that's what 185 used to look like. Because we don't, you know, we shoot 133 and all this other stuff. Well, you're a lot more opinionated than I am. Ah, goddamn. So. I don't get paid to be opinionated. I get paid to... I get, I get, I get paid to... Um, Tell stories. No, to be, an, to be an empath. I feel like, you know, a lot of my job is... is being emotionally True. intelligent and figuring out, you know, what does the director want and what does the production want and what is the script called for. So if I'm too opinionated, oh, that's like, true. Yeah, yeah. I just, I just bully people into doing what I want. Is that how it works? There's probably some DPs that are more bullies. They are. I'm, I'm not a bully. Yeah. I, I get a little loud on set sometimes, but that's only if like, you know, I you feel like things are. The aren't stare. Being done you get the stare. Perfectly. Yeah. Sometimes it just, it gets frustrating, but. I try not to yell. <laughs> I, try, I, I try. I can't imagine you yelling at all, by the way. I've yelled a couple of times. Mostly for people to be quiet. <laughs> it's so hard. Like, everybody, especially when you're shooting in, like, a small house and everybody's, like, talking. Mostly when people are new, too. People tend to talk all the time. When you're new on set, newbies... A new set. People love to talk. And or in it's... film school, in film school, you know, everybody's talking because everybody wants to help, and it's yeah. a different kind of atmosphere, right? And then, a lot of times, like if you're if you're working with like recent film grads, it can happen that they might want to, you know, say certain like opinions about things. Oh, that's so you bad. have to learn yeah, that's... to be really professional. Yeah, you have to keep your mouth shut until you're asked to open it. <laughs> that's true. I've been called out on that. No surprise, right? <laughs> I can see that happening with you. <laughs> uh, ooh, I have a long story, but I'll I'll tell that later. <laughs> Wait, no, tell it, tell it. You finish okay. this podcast by telling your story because I really am done. Oh, okay. Uh, no, you get that face. Oh, I saw that face. Is that, that the face? face? Is that the face when you when rap and says, you said? Done. Oh shit. Okay. I just I don't feel like I, I'll, I'll, it's I'll not really another a, I'll be on another podcast. Well, it's not really a, a story. I was on this really big music video one time, and uh, I was on as a friend of Cher. somebody. It's definitely Cher. Was it? No, no, no. Oh. <laughs> it's Cher esque. Um, so I remember kind of like you know I'm straight out of film school and I look at the, the shot I did offer an opinion what was your opinion? I said 2-8 huh? shouldn't that be at a 4? <laughs> oh my god and I was never back ever again so there's that but luckily it was only a 3 day shoot so wait are you telling me they fired you for that? yeah good lord yeah because DP director and I'll tell you this much the director was Francis Lawrence okay no one knows who he is <laughs> he did the Hunger Games movies and yeah he's pretty big so. but it was an LMU grad shoot anyway Arlene thank you for joining us on the cellular ashram thank you so much I feel honored thank you Tom really great insight on how to navigate the, the business actually because uh, we don't get that a lot in specifically somebody who works as much as you do and you're going to New York to shoot a film. I hope I said something vaguely useful and intelligible. You did. You did. Yeah. It's it's different than what we were used to, obviously. So yeah, she's yeah. People don't realize the the level of experience you actually have, and the obviously the knowledge that you have. And if you ever need to. Ask any questions about film, definitely Arlene's the person to talk to. So, thank you. Thank you so much.
Bye. I can't believe he.